NBA Fantasy NBA Hybrid Podcast brought to you by Jalen Utsi, Kyle Stein, and me, Michael Kimball. We are in NBA suspension, but we are going to go back about 33 years to May 14th, 1987. It's the Houston Rockets versus the Seattle Supersonics. It's back when people still said Supersonics. It's the Western Conference Semifinals, Game 6. The Rockets have upset the Mavericks, a 49-win team, and for the first round, the Sonics are a losing team, 39-43 on the regular season. They've upset the 55-win Mavericks. It's 3-2 Sonics, and this is an incredible double overtime thriller, Game 6 in Seattle. Let me introduce you to our guest today, Lewis Keene. He is at this Lewis on Twitter. He writes about basketball, urban planning, and joy. He is also the creator and writer of Unstatable, a L.A. Clippers newsletter that will uh, be uh, mostly concerning the arena development as it moves forward now. Lewis, welcome to the pod. Great to be here. Thanks. Um, this was, um, as, as our listeners know, we've been going through each of us making a different choice for a different game. This was your choice. Tell me why. I love Hakeem Olajuwon, and I feel like he is just a type of player that isn't really in the NBA anymore. Um, yeah. And it's for a while, I, I would say like in the mid in the early 2010s, there was a there was a phase where uh, every aspiring star big man would spend a weekend with Olajuwon. You know, it's like oh, he, he, over the summer <laughs> sure. we're gonna spend. He he went to Hakeem's house and he spent three days learning like the drop step or whatever. Sure. Um, LeBron did it also. Yeah, really? yeah, like yeah. <laughs> I, I, I feel like Kobe did it. I feel like it's a rite of passage for NBA um, NBA stars, especially big men. And now, like, I don't even know if a star big man would bother going to meet with Hakeem. It's all about three-point shooting now. So I wanted to go back and, and just watch some classic Hakeem. And I did not anticipate um, how like young and undeveloped he looked yeah uh, like he was dominating but he was not showing the whole package so uh it was really cool to watch what did you, what did you guys think yeah i mean he was absolutely dominant in this game his line is massive um uh, i have it written down somewhere here 49 25 two assists two steals six blocks and just a force in the middle. It's almost as if there's a force field around Hakeem Olajuwon and the Sonics do not <laughs> approach it for almost right. the entire game. Uh, that was incredible to watch. But I think you're really right. You know, this isn't the dream shake we say with the Knicks, you know, him playing against Patrick Ewing in those those championships in the 90s where it was developed. The move was, was multi-level, many moves in a single play. Um, here we're just seeing the, the beginnings of that the isolated bit the unbelievably quick feet on the spin move some of that sort of stuff yeah yeah it was crazy and it was sort of like a tale of uh, two different teams with the way they played you know if the Rockets couldn't get the ball into Samson or 
uh, Olajuwon, they were pretty much done on that offensive possession, whereas the Sonics were running like a ton of floppy action and down screens, and like they're just trying to get the ball to Xavier McDaniel, uh, Dale Ellis, and Tom Chambers. So it was just sort of two different styles of play. It was interesting to see. Yeah, definitely. Those different styles of play were very striking, and and, and we see it. Um, you know, the Rockets are at this time, uh, they're still calling them the Twin Towers, Ralph Sampson and Hakeem Olajuwon. Nobody would get that nickname today. But the mm-hmm. Seattle Supersonics almost look like a prototypical team from now, besides that they, the fact that they only took, uh, I can't remember what it was, five three-pointers, something like that. The way they're playing, um, you know, their point guard 6'5", everybody else, is six seven on up they're just a long team that could uh emulate some of the teams we see today that was sort of surprising to see that happening back in 87. well the announcers even found it surprising they described the first quarter as crazy um it was a very (laughs) it was a very up and down game and you got the sense that they weren't used to seeing that then and especially maybe in those playoffs um so but this is, I mean, the, you know, one of the announcers is Tommy Heinzen. And, and Lewis, you don't know this, but one of the other games we're watching is Kuzi's last game in 63 when yeah. Heinzen's a ta- one of the, you know, a power forward on the Celtics. Um, he's playing in that game. He's calling this one. And that the pace in 63 was even faster than the pace we're looking at in 87, even though they absolutely are getting up and down the court. Yeah, he he was more restrained in this uh, game than I'm used to for Tommy Hansen. Uh, and then Dick, Dick, Dick Stockton. You mean because, is, the, because the Celtics weren't involved? Yeah, exactly. Well, they brought up Red Auerbach uh, later in the game. <laughs> yeah. Red Auerbach thought that the Sonics would finish last. And uh, Tommy just jumps in. He's like, well, you know, I also thought that it was, you know, he immediately jumps to his defense. But uh, not only Dick did he Stockton, say that, he said, I think that's the first time Auerbach's been wrong about anything or it yeah. related to basketball. <laughs> right. Well, and uh, I love that the taunt, so the Sonics taunt is to put Red's face on a fan that they give out, you know, at the arena. Like today it all happens on social media. Then it happened on a fan that they handed out to fans. Mm-hmm. Um. And did you see? And Dick Stockton was the yeah uh, was the play-by-play guy. And I'm not a Dick Stockton fan. I don't probably I don't think anyone is. But he was no. like also old in 1987. <laughs> like he like looked yep. old. I'm like I'm like man, this guy's just been like furrowing his brow since he was like 15 years old. He's got like a deep deep crease <laughs> going across his forehead. And and Dick Stockton, I will always remember fondly. You know, I'm not a Dick Stockton, I'm never excited when he's on the call, but he called the Clippers comeback against Memphis, a 26 or 27-point game one comeback against Memphis in 2010, 2009, 2010, I think. All right. uh, and that was the game where like Nick, Nick Young hit like three straight threes from the corner to tie the game. And so I had the Dick Stockton call uh like etched into my memory so i, I kept thinking of him over the course <laughs> of the game thinking 
Nick Young for three again. <laughs> like, uh, so yeah, I'm glad I chose the game for that reason. <laughs> that that might be the height of uh, Dick Stockton's calls right there. Yeah, he he could come. <laughs> he almost like burst a vocal cord on that one. <laughs> right. Um. So I wanted. I did like. A, I looked up a little bit about the Rockets and their history, and I I came. A, I don't know if either of you or anyone on the call knows a lot about Moses Malone, but I started reading yeah. about him a bit, and I was like, is he the was he the James Harden of his era? I mean, he did win a championship, but I mean, just sort of like superior talent, putting up big numbers. But I don't know. I feel like anytime he's mentioned on the internet, there's like a lot of animus in the when he's brought up. He was notorious for like intentionally missing shots around the basket and just stacking up offensive <laughs> rebounds that way. I'm looking at his numbers now. Look at his offense. I, I, I don't know if you're on his basketball reference page. His career average in offensive rebounds was five. He <laughs> averaged God. five offensive rebounds a game in his career. And he shot less than 50% from the field. Uh, yeah, you know, I, ha- I have times. images of him just sort of almost volleyballing the ball against the backboard to himself before he finally completes the basket. That's well, such maybe- a- that's such a fascinating, like, historical anomaly because you can't imagine anyone giving up their field goal percentage now. Like, counting <laughs> stats must have just been so sure. much more important. Analytics but, don't allow for it. But, I mean, to some degree, that's exactly what Harden does when he takes, like, a million step-back threes. That's just – that craters his field goal percentage, in com- at least from three in comparison to the other, like, top shooters. He's – just doing it by volume and like trying to get fouled. So I don't know how many residences there field are. Goal but like, rather than, yeah. yeah <laughs> exactly. Which I guess we're smarter, so he's protected in that way. <laughs> well, go ahead. Well, the other connection here, um, I, I, I did a little um, research on Elijah Wan's nicknames, and I was uh, surprised to find out that one of his nicknames given to him by himself, so this is probably why it didn't catch on, but it was Little Moses, and he was referring, like, Moses Malone was one of his heroes. Wow. So that was the nickname he gave himself. Of course, uh, Dream was the one that stuck. That came from his college coach. Yeah. Go ahead, Lewis. I'm looking at, I'm looking at Hakeem's stats uh he was pretty good looks like (laughs) (laughs) early on in the game they were early on in the game they were talking about how Hakeem didn't really have the experience to read double teams i'm like this is it's not like it's his first or second year he's been in the league now he's been there for 25 at that point like now we expect guys primes to really be when they're 25, 26, 27, and when someone has a big contract when they're 28, the common reaction is, oh, they're going to be 33 and making $40 million. When I was like a kid, which maybe wasn't that long ago, but when I was a kid, <laughs> like you expected the athletes' primes to be around 30, but the way that development happens now, which starts at a lot younger age, the prime athleticism is much more aligned with prime skill level. So when you're 25 and 26, you're not raw, but dominant athlete. You're like 
at your height of athletic dominance and pretty well developed because all these strength training coaches, shot coaches, uh, there's just so much development that happens on every team except the Lakers, pretty much. Um, <laughs> uh, that do you think? That, that's I mean, that's really a question. Do you, do you think guys like? Do you think their athletic primes and their skill primes line up today, in general, or do you think, think like they, they they have their athletic prime and then they sort of start of maybe the very beginnings of their athletic decline and then their skill a sort of peak hits? Yeah, I mean, I think well, it depends on the guy, but. I think, you know, you you can't really get by at 33 or 34 athletically now the way that you could. Like, I'm looking at Hakeem's career. Like, he was playing center uh, in the NBA and putting up, you know, 19 and 10 when he was 36. Uh, you know, a lot of centers these days don't even play that long. You know, yeah. unless they're kind of career 20-minute-a-game guys. Like Trevor Booker just retired today. I was like, I thought Trevor Booker retired like three years ago. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, Trevor I, Booker, I, as an announcement, I'm like, is he going to be gay? And it was like, no, he's just <laughs> retiring. And it's like, okay, I don't yeah. know what Trevor Booker is like announcing this for, but... <laughs> That's funny. It's 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 perfect timing. It's low NBA news, so Trevor Booker gets you know a little play for once. Um, he was like, I've been working on this letter for weeks. Like, <laughs> going to be in here? And it's like, oh yeah, just it was about how he's like made a lot of money in the NBA. Trevor Booker is like trying to be a billionaire. I don't know if you knew that. If you're a we big did Trevor not. Booker I did guy. not. At least. <laughs> no, I like crazy. it. Well. Isn't Trevor Booker the one who said uh, he had the story about playing with the Wizards and Gilbert Arenas and it was just a complete madhouse in the locker room? Uh, I buy it. I think I, I think I saw that. And he was like, he, he said he thought that was all there was in the NBA, that the Wizards locker room was normal. And then he, <laughs> oh. he got to a different team and he was like, oh, okay, this was not normal. This is not what normally happens in the NBA. Yes, I remember this. Yeah, yeah, Trevor Booker, I just looked it up. Trevor Booker recounts tenure with Wizards, uh, calls it the most terrible team that I've probably been on. <laughs> <laughs> and that is where my internet stops working, so I can't uh, <laughs> I can't even open a Google link. Anyway, go on, go on. So, um, so, so I looked up a bunch of, like, random things. Uh, so the Rockets had six um overall number one picks i believe uh elvin hayes john lucas ralph sansom hakeem olajuwon yao ming that's only five so maybe they had five um and the year that they picked ralph samson it looks like a bad draft year in 83 someone can correct me if i'm wrong but i looked it up and i was like who are the notable people from this draft and it's like uh, Rodney McRae, Samson went one, McRae went third, both to the Rockets. Byron Scott went fourth. Antoine Carr went eighth. Dale Ellis went ninth. Derek Harper went 11th. Clyde Drexler went 14th. John Paxson went 19th. Doc Rivers went 31st. And Craig Elo was a 48th <laughs> pick. Those are the nice. memorable names from that draft. Nice. <laughs> uh, there was that moment in the game where they said, 
I think it was Doug McRae. They were like, he's going to be a household name. And I was like, I had never heard of him. Yeah. Right. <laughs> right. Uh, I don't know what happened. Like, maybe he got hurt or something. But Yeah. Yeah, they seem to have a lot of hope for Steve Harris, who I don't remember at all. Yeah, he was yeah. two for 12 in this game. <laughs> a great shooter, apparently. We just didn't see it. Um, I, is it time to talk about Bill Fitch's coaching strategy, letting your starting point guard foul out in the third quarter? It, it, it seemed like a big issue for them. <laughs> but I can, it was not my sense that their point guard was playing that well. He I mean, what he either, fouled out with like six points. Six points, six assists. Um, but they kept talking about him as if he were a very important part of this rotation and sort of, you know, the guy that to some extent made the engine uh, not run so much as hold together. And, you know, he played very few minutes. I can't remember what it was now in a game with 58 total minutes. He, yeah, he 24. 24 minutes. And that's all because of foul trouble. So, um, you know, Steve Harris was asked to pick some of that up, but it was really Robert Reed who came to the rescue for the Rockets and held them together through all of that. Ended up with 12 assists uh, and just played really tough defense for longer than seems humanly possible. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I really this... <laughs> we picked an extremely random game. <laughs> like the Sonic, the Sonics were thirty nine and forty three, and they had more players that I had heard of. Right, right, <laughs> I know. So they're right for the for the Sonics. Um, shoot, where did it go? Yeah, I did not. I did well. I didn't know Elton Lister. I didn't remember him. Uh, the other four starters, I knew it all at least a little, but then I didn't really know anybody else coming off the bench there. Well, Nate McMillan, Mr. Sonic, right. and uh, Alton Lister is famous for being dunked on by Sean Kemp when oh, Sean yeah. Kemp was on Sonic. So like, there's a famous Kemp on Lister dunk. I'm, Lister might have okay. actually been on the Rockets. Uh, let me see. I think he was. Yeah, that sounds right. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, no, Lister was on the uh, Warriors. Okay. And it's the dunk where he, it's the dunk I think where he dunks on him and then he kind of points both fingers at him. Mm, yeah. Oh yeah, I know that play. Yeah, I've seen it. And it's called the Lister Blister. <laughs> nice. nice. Yeah, I accidentally before I watched the '87 game, which is Sonics Rockets, I accidentally watched the '93 game. <laughs> it was Sonics Rockets, and that was Kemp and Peyton, and then Elijah Wan's the only holdover really from the Rockets. Mm. Um, so it, it it was fun fun to see the just a different iteration of that because Sean Kemp is just amazing. Yeah. Like, uh, <laughs> I mean. <laughs> Uh, yeah, yeah. I, mean, some... I mean, I think you, you mentioned this. You said the randomness of the game and how few players we knew for the Rockets. Now, I don't think we I would have known these players anyways, but part of the reason the Rockets like struggled in this game, I think, is because they were missing like basically three guards from the previous year. Um, Lewis Lloyd, Mitchell Wiggins, and then John Lucas, who I think left in free agency. Mm. But the reason that they were missing all of them was because uh, Lewis Lloyd and Mitchell Wiggins tested positive for cocaine and were suspended for two and a half years in the league. Oh. And they actually, like, I watched the game twice, and the first time I completely missed the announcers talking about that. But the second time, I'm like, oh, they're just, like, talking about this in the middle of the game. It was huh. a huh. different time in the NBA, I guess, the 70s and the 80s. I never knew um, what the incident was that set up Lucas to be a kind of 
um, advisor for, uh, I'm doing some air quotes here, but troubled players. Uh, yeah, but that, I don't think he, he was ever suspended. I looked at his okay. page. He wasn't suspended, but I guess it became known that he had a drinking right. problem and yeah. a drug addiction problem. And I guess it, you know, obviously makes it diff- more difficult to latch on with teams and sustain a career. So I think basically after, because he, he was on the team when the Rockets went to the finals, uh, in '86, the year before, and then uh, he wasn't in the, he wasn't in huh, on the team. Interesting. Yeah, John Lucas is one of the most beloved people in the whole league. Like, he had a couple of very highly, you know, admired and loved people in the NBA died this year: David Stern and Kobe, and. John Lucas, when, you know, he's not like a particularly old guy, but John Lucas is one of those guys that the whole league will show up for him because, like, you can, I'm just, like, thinking off the top of my head, um, DeAndre Jordan, like, he was, like, DeAndre Jordan's, like, personal coach when he was with the Clippers and um, Clint Capella with with the Rockets. And these are not even the people who had big issues, but he's right. been like, you know, a rehab uh, advisor for just tons of guys. Um, so he's really, he's, and I've interviewed him before, uh, and he's very funny. Uh, he's just a, a good guy. And I did not get, I did not get uh, his joke. I, it went completely over my head. He, we, I was talking, it was just at the Rockets uh, Spurs game when Ginobili had that block on Harden uh, in overtime that like he like yeah. kind of blocked it from behind. So I was in I was in San Antonio because I have a cousin who's out there. So I went and reported on this game to do a thing on Capella. And I interviewed uh, John Lucas for like a minute. And Bobby Brown, the the Rockets like backup the Rockets guard mascot. There. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> He's, that's another guy who just everyone in the NBA just loves this guy, Bobby Brown. He must be yeah. super chill yeah. uh, or just, just super fun to be around. Um, so Bobby Brown was standing there, and uh, I, knew, I actually knew a little bit about him because he went to, I think, Long Beach State. Like, or, or Yeah, he, he went to one of the local um, schools and had just torn it up when he was out there. Um, and so I'm from the from the area so it was like yeah he was like what you know about bobby brown i'm like oh yeah like uh i started saying a little bit of what i knew about him which i think threw, threw him like a little bit surprised <laughs> and then he's like he's like you know whitney houston what, what you know about? and i was like and i just <laughs> i, I kind of chuckled and i like didn't get it and then like, <laughs> I, like I was like wait what was that about the whitney houston so i like typed into google <laughs> <laughs> Bobby Brown, Winnie nice. Houston. I was like, oh, <laughs> <laughs> exposing funny. my age, like this game, which exposed my age. Yeah, I, I think this game exposed all of us because um, there, there's a lot of just obscure <laughs> detail here, uh, and I, I tried to dig into some of it. Uh, does anybody have anything on this? Dale Ellis most improved this se- in the in the season that this game was played. Uh, one of his nicknames given to him by his Sonics teammates, Lamar Mundane. Oh my God! <laughs> Whoa. 
And I I googled this endlessly last night, just trying to find something. I couldn't find any information about it. It's it's I, I assume one of those nicknames where the giant guy gets the name Tiny, something like that. Um, but um, yeah, yeah. Seems like it, Dale, Dale Ellis wasn't experienced to be around. I was gonna say I I highly doubt that he was mundane because oh, he, there's he, a there's a I story a on him. Yeah, there's a story on him from 2011 yeah, where, where he says that he's the, the best, best shooter, shooter of all time. time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, the, well, he's actually he's it's a really like, fascinating player. There's support. There's yeah, support. But, in, 19, in the 80s, he was the best three-point shooter in the NBA, 41.1%. Wow. I've got I've got a couple <laughs> I got a couple things on this. I, I took some <laughs> notes because I was really interested in Ellis. So he, so first of all, it's a really long game and he apparently played a lot of really long games because he sets the record for the most minutes in a game um, in 1989 with 69 minutes out of a possible. Wow. Yeah. 69 minutes out of a possible 73 and he scores 53 points that game. Wow. He goes on the next year in 1990 and sets the mo- the record for the most three-pointers in a game with nine, which I got from the Los Angeles Times. Um, he later in the 90s, I don't I couldn't. It's so weird because like this would have been such a big deal in in the NBA now, but I could not. I searched, I used LexisNexis. I used Google. I lo- searched all over the place trying to find the date that. Dale Ellis passed whoever he passed to become yeah, yeah. the NBA's leading three-point shooter. And all I got was that he passed um, 1,200 in 1996 and had passed 1,000 sometime in like 93. And Reggie Miller passes him on April 13th, 1998. Um, and of course, it's, it's one of these things too, where it's like if Reggie Miller hadn't been such a prolific three point shooter, Dale Ellis would have retired two years later in 2000 as the league's leading three point. Wow. Like he and was we would that- all remember him then. Whereas yeah. Reggie Miller erased Dale Ellis. And the other, so last interesting thing, he's a career 40.3, um, percent shooter, uh, which puts him behind only Steph. Clay, Steve Nash, and Kyle Korver among players in the top 50 on the all-time list, and he also had more three-pointers um, in his career than Nash. Wow. Top 50 on the on the all-time scoring list? Yeah, or so three-point so, made. So there are only three people on the top 50 all-time best shooter, you know, three-point shooters who have better percentages than hmm. Dale Ellis, wow. and those are Steph, Clay, and Kyle Korver. Um, Steve Nash is, is just behind him, but that's crazy. Well, he had an argument. You're right. <laughs> <laughs> I guess that makes him the best shooter ever. <laughs> he was right. uh, well, his rationale for saying that too was pretty interesting. Cause he's basically like, if you don't have that mentality, then you can't shoot the way that I shot. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, and I think especially then when he was coming up shooting three pointers, if you didn't have that kind of confidence, you were never getting the green light to shoot those three pointers. Like, yeah. So, yeah, it had to happen that way. Contrast that with his teammate, uh, 
Tom Chambers, who was a bit of a chucker. <laughs> he had 37 in this game, and I think he shot exactly 37% from the field to get that 37. Tom Chambers has oh, an interesting right. story, 30, too. 37.9% to get the 37. But he was the All-Star Game MVP this year? They say yeah. that on the broadcast. Yeah. That's the it. highlight of his life. I yeah, mean, it's the wild. announcers love him talking about what a tough matchup he is inside, outside, et cetera, et cetera. But yeah, this is a pretty inefficient line. So, you know, we saw Tom Chambers a couple of weeks ago when we watched game four of the Western Conference Finals in 1989, you know, when the Lakers yeah. swept the Suns. So I got interested in finding out how Chambers ended up on the Suns. And it's a cool story. Uh, basically, the Sonics weren't happy with their front court, even though Chambers was scoring something like 25 points a game. Yeah, so they dropped two so great they, seasons there before they traded him. Yeah. And so they drafted for length and athleticism and Chambers didn't really know what his role was going to be. And his contract was up. Um, and this is before the era of free agency. So he just assumed he'd have to sign at a discounted rate with the team, but he gets a call from the head of the players union uh, at the end of the season saying, basically don't sign the qualifying offer. We're going to get this restricted free agency thing passed. Mm -hmm. And the Suns, actually the Suns page on NBA.com has a nice write up on all this, which I'm sort of cribbing this from, but um, it's aptly called Tom Chabers, the first free agent. Uh, you can check it out. But um, in short, you know, a lot of things that we've come to expect now, team officials wooing players with big contracts, you know, whining and dining them and persuading guys with appeals to like team culture, um, all started with this full court press that the Suns put on getting Chambers. They like went to his house and just didn't leave until <laughs> they signed him. And they said as much. Like, Colangelo was just basically like, you know, he's our guy. We're going to go in and we're going to get him. They did. <laughs> yeah, wow. Wow. And then what did Colangelo's son's wife's Twitter account say? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, Colangelo is just, he's inescapable in NBA history. It's pretty crazy. Yeah, it was it was odd to see how deep his reach went with that those Sonics teams in the late 80s and that that they're like that's the precursor for today too um yeah and i think it's interesting too that this is related to like a, a rules change because i think people would argue the same was sort of happening with him and the the sons and like the rolling back of the hand checking rules and all these sorts of things that allowed uh the sons to sort of play that style so since we're on chambers there's a point in the first quarter He's coming down. I can't remember who's... Uh, McMillan's probably bringing the ball up. Chambers is on the left wing. And as he's approaching half court, he starts calling for the ball. <laughs> <laughs> Which, I mean, you he, know, he, he, that's he, what Tom he, Chambers is going to do. We get, like... <laughs> he had a one-track mind for getting buckets. He was only <laughs> trying to score. Like, I would like to know what his teammates thought of him. Like, he had 37 in the game, but... Um, he, he got blocked a couple times by Olajuwon, which is obviously no shame in that. But it was like, dude, this is not going to work. Like, you didn't really beat your original man, and then the help defender is Hakeem Olajuwon. This is it's not going to work out for you. Is so, it part of the reason they drafted other guys for a position? <laughs> I would imagine so. 
but he so he crosses half court and gets the pass. He pulls up and shoots a three and drains it. That's one of the five three pointers the Sonics shoot in the game. It's in the first quarter. It's early. He makes it. But that's it. Like what? Like it looked like it was a shot. You know, he was set up, ready to take. It was something they maybe they had it on film. You know, who knows? But then we never see it again. Well, it's probably yeah, the I mean, kind of thing where it's like the first quarter, so let's get a little frisky. You know, we won't take any risks later in the game, but you know, just show them that we have it, and then we they have to guard it from now on. That's right. like, that's what the mentality was around threes. It's like, oh, if we show them that we can make it, they'll have to guard it. Otherwise, if we miss it, you know, we'll get open ones all day, but we won't be able to get the ball inside. Right. And in 87, taking five in a game that went through two overtimes constitutes showing you can shoot the three-pointer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He because shot the Rockets put up one the entire series. game. Yeah. He shot 30% from three in the series and 40% from the field. He did average 25 points a game, but yeah, I mean, I guess that's the Tom Chambers story. Exactly. And I, I think, think the, Tom Chambers, the Tom Chambers story, with, with all due respect, <laughs> the Tom Chambers his story is how he could dunk like while still ascending. And he does that once in the game, but he, he was always dunking like on the rise or he was able to make it look that way. Yeah, well, so he didn't get blocked, right? He it was like a quick dunk almost. And what didn't? What was his like slam dunk? Wasn't didn't he like dunk from the free throw line in slam dunk contest? Did he? Win? Wow! Oh my! Really? I don't. Uh, yeah, I he's that. he's a, he's really fascinating. I will say, I feel like he had more coordination. Like he's he's sort of smooth, and like I think it was Lister or one of the other big guys on the Sonics who got the ball in a fast break, and they did not look very natural. And as you say, when he caught the ball in a fast break, it was like one two going up, flushing it home. Um, but another thing, speaking of this, it made me think that this is very clearly pre-Eurostep NBA. Like, oh, all, yeah. these fast breaks, oh, yeah. <laughs> all of these fast breaks ended with, like, loose balls poked away because no one, no one was trying a Eurostep at all. It was just like, I'm going right. I'm going right. I guess I'm going right. <laughs> right. Okay. It wasn't, a, it wasn't a dunk contest dunk. It was just a legendary dunk on Mark Jackson in 1989 where he, like, Takes off from far away, basically teabags Mark Jackson, and then just keeps rising and then dunks. <laughs> you, you will recognize it if you see it. I just yeah, I, I was been I've been watching it, waiting to talk about it. It's a uh, it's iconic. <laughs> you, you've seen it before. Yeah, you've seen it before. It's the one of the white guy jumping from far away and dunking. <laughs> There's the like one. maybe, I don't know the how one. many of those you can name, but. <laughs> Unless you count Blake Griffin, but I don't. Yeah, but, but Tom Chambers being able to run, move, handle the ball, it's one of the reasons they get away with just make Mac- Nate McMillan at the point. Like, yeah, he's, I- only real guard they have there. Dale Ellis can play guard. Xavier, Xavier McDaniel can kind of play guard. But like the, the, he was the only guard really playing, even though he kept talking about the six guards that were so important to the <laughs> Seattle Supersonics. We probably can't right. name any of those guys right now. It was just Danny Young. Danny Young played a bit. Um, Kevin Williams. 
Eddie Johnson got like a quick minute or two. Um, right. But yeah, I think it's just sort of Xavier McDaniel and Dale Ellis are sort of, you know, Xavier McDaniel, I think was a small forward, but, you know, sort of plays like a guard, just has the ability to guard multiple positions. So as you say, they had like a flexibility, a roster flexibility, a shape shiftiness uh, to be able to guard multiple positions. Yeah. Yeah. They were pressing, you know, they yeah. were, they, were fun to watch. But the one thing I noticed is the, I feel like the coaching on both ends, just in terms of like teaching guys basic positioning, was really oh dismal. I mean, just every <laughs> missed shot turned into a fast break. It was just like, yeah, one guy stands behind the three point line, and then after the shot goes up, you get back. Like, what, why thing. is every missed shot for both teams turning into some? Kind <laughs> because of no one was standing wow. behind the three point line. Everyone was below <laughs> the right. three point line on every play. It was insane. Well, they were all there, but fewer than half were actually blocking out they were just there was so much standing around i took a screenshot while watching the game where there was three rockets players um oh. like oh in, my god outside the three-point line within two feet of each other and yeah. i was yeah. like this is like a paragon of spacing right here it's just this is definitely what you want as far as spacing <laughs> like, <laughs> right. it, was in the it, it was all for the weak side and the 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 uh, illegal defense call that they were hoping to get <laughs> out yeah, of those three right. guys standing next to each other. Late in the game, I think when the the Rockets' last best chance to win the game, Olajuwon is posting up and Samson is standing like on the free throw line close to the post up as he gets double teamed and he still gets a wide open mid range jumper. But I'm just like, why are you so close? Get away. <laughs> right. Yeah. I kept being like mad at Ralph Sampson. He's like such a good player. I'm like, ah, sit on yeah. the bench. Let me see Hakeem go to work. Like, <laughs> and like somehow everyone in the game has a hook shot. Like, <laughs> yeah. Four or five different players over the course of the game like do a little hook shot i'm like dude, wait dude, this I is mean, just everyone's arsenal go back and watch one of the games from the 60s everybody has a hook shot the guards yeah. have running yeah. hook shots it's like it's we've every single this. player we've been noticing this that there's just so many hook shots taken in the games. <laughs> even in the even in the early 90s and i think it's because there's just no space like there no yeah. one is really like driving to the basket and getting all the way to the rim unless they're in transition because there's just bodies everywhere so everyone's got to shoot these like half like four foot jumpers and hook shots all the time it was a way to not get blocked in close quarters to some extent i think but yeah um, but I, I, I there's since we're on ralph samson right now and um how sad i thought it was to watch him which uh, which will be supported by where we're about to go in the regular in the, in the first four quarters, Samson, who is a 62.4% free throw shooter on the year, he's made four of four free throws in the first four quarters. In the first overtime, he gets fouled and misses two free throws. Then he's fouled again toward the end of overtime. There are five seconds left. They're down one. He, he makes that one free throw and misses the next free throw. They could have won the game there. That was one of their good chances to win, though statistically we don't expect Samson to make that free throw. That makes him five for eight on the game and pretty much his average. But what was interesting to me about this is the crazy slow motion close-up they go into on him in between the first <laughs> overtime and the second overtime. It's like a five, <laughs> six-second slow-mo of Ralph Samson's face 
the ball's not in screen, hand isn't in screen, it's just his face and his throat. You see him purse his lips like he's got dry mouth, and then you see that really hard swallow with the Adam's apple, and like this uh. is just a classic choke thing happening here. I don't think we would see it focused on in the same way in today's game as we did there. Did that what do you guys think of that moment? It was it was sort of hard to watch in a way. I I especially <laughs> noted it because this was, you know, we were watching this as the Akeem game, right? And yeah. and I noted that Akeem had he had two shots. He had one at the end of regulation and one at the end of the first overtime. They were tough, but he was hitting more difficult shots than that routinely. I mean, I remember one when he was sort of like fading behind the backboard along the baseline and sort of like, you know, just this arcing shot that was beautiful. And so he had two really like prime opportunities to win the game. And and then I just mean, I just found it like doubly tragic to see that shot of Samson um, yeah. give, given those other opportunities because it was like, you know, it takes a team to lose. Yeah, he had some nervy moments, though, for sure, like the missed free throws. And then, as I said, he like sort of alligator armed a mid range jumper that would have, I think, tied or put them ahead oh, right. with about 20 yeah. seconds left in the game or something like that. That and- was a terrible shot. And then, late, like, on the last two possessions, I think, in the last possession of overtime and double overtime, they didn't get the ball to Olajuwon. It was Reed who took the shot both times, right. and I was just like, what is what is happening here? What are we doing? Yeah, yeah Reed, Reed and Samson were a combined um, 32% from the field on this game, and those are the guys that could have won the game for the Rockets. Yeah, and we mentioned them not having their like guards from the previous year. The guards they did have were not very good. They couldn't handle the like the pressure and the and the traps, the pressing that the Sonics were throwing at them. They were struggling to bring the ball up. They were struggling to enter the ball into the post. They they definitely could have used some more guard help. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> the the Rockets were also up five at the end of yep. first her time. I think so. And with un- with under a minute, to- with 55 seconds left, and immediately gave up a, a bucket and an and one. Yeah, so, like, it was. wasn't just Ralph Sampson. Uh, like you yeah. said, it takes a team. But, you know, the- going back to that moment, the thing that struck me about the directing of the game was there's a- the huddle late in the game, uh, Bickerstaff's huddle, where he's, like, telling the players – you know, we have two timeouts, you know, they have one, oh, yeah. uh, telling them what to do. And like the whole thing is mic'd and it's just like great to listen to. And we don't get that anymore. Like yeah. the only, the only uh, mic'd up we get is like banter between the players, which is usually like the least interesting banter. Sure, and, yeah. and then also in huddles, they'll say like, come on, like, we got to get up and down. Like, there's no, there's no <laughs> yeah, coaching. Right. Like, we don't actually get to see coaching. And it's not like, the, it's not that the coaching is not happening. It's definitely still happening. But I think they don't want to show it for, like, to give away team strategy, maybe. But, like, the strategy is on the tape. Like, you can see right. the strategy. I mean, I yeah. don't know. That's it, it, another example of, like, the games themselves being a little bit less interesting in some ways as the technology 
has gotten better. So, like, we're barely seeing any replays, and that's partly because the broadcast is clipped, but we're barely seeing any replays. They don't have the scoreboard or the clock. The, yeah. the shot clock isn't working, so they're using a stopwatch. <laughs> I uh, love that. But, but <laughs> you know, it's a it's clearly a rawer game, and you get there's there's upsides to that too. Yeah, yeah. I think as you say, we don't really get to see a lot into the the huddles anymore. And every time we do, I feel like Steve Kerr has been pissed off at TNT like multiple times in the past couple of years because something he says to KD gets out and then KD's pissed about it or they catch him saying like Draymond and his shit or something like <laughs> yeah, that. Right. Um, yeah. And like, so I think all of the coaches and players are just like, they're just wary about it. And like, and that they're, they just hate it or most of them do. Some of them, you know, they, they seem to have fun with it. I think that's fair. And, and I'll, I'll say the solution is to have more of it because yeah. the, the more it like if that happens in every ah, game yeah. then no one can say oh every team is falling apart everyone hates each other like you're like oh okay this is basically how the league works but when the only time they show it is Steve Kerr saying come on KD we need more from you <laughs> then it seems like yeah. exceptional whereas like yeah. that happens every game like at halftime you know, Doc Rivers saying to Lou Williams, all right, like, you going to show up tonight or are you just tired? You know, like, that happens <laughs> all the time. Yeah, that's true. That's a great point. I mean, uh, speaking of Tom Chambers, he did the interview. The one sort of, like, cutaway we get is him that's saying, right. like, oh, we didn't think we could beat the Dallas Mavericks, oh, which seemed, gosh. like, insane yeah. for anyone to ever say that nowadays. Like, they would never say that. <laughs> yeah. That, that, that really stuck out to me, too, because the, the PR – apparatus of teams like coaches those phrases out of players mm-hmm. like they they coach players on how to not attract attention to themselves uh you know we we every every opponent is the same you know like we're we're on the clippers like we're playing the lakers tomorrow it's just like any other game like you like they just they beat it out of these players like any personality just gets beaten out of these players and uh, another thing I was thinking about is, like the, like, the fights between players. Like, now what you hear guys say is, like, oh, there's too much money on the line. So, like, you never see any real fights. Uh, and then looking at these basketball reference pages, you guys see guys with 18, 19-year careers. Like, that's not happening in the NBA anymore. Like, uh, I just look at Dale Ellis. I was like, man, this dude played for 17 years. Like, that's a <laughs> yeah. huge, that's a long career. Like, there's that's in the top probably two percentile yeah. top, that's 99 percentile of nba players like those careers just don't, are not happening anymore because the game has changed so much yeah and then there's no fights in this game but it seems like they're like basically on the verge like there's a play where ralph sampson uh, i think chambers fouls ralph sampson and he's like staring at him like two inches from his face as uh-huh. he walks back and it seems like and uh, olajuwon and lister i think get into it at one point when they're setting up for a jump ball olajuwon's got his like arms about shoulder height with his elbows out and then you could just see there's just like also the game was just diff- like defense was different like tom chambers and xavier mcdaniel Xavier McDaniel are kind of just pushing people at certain points playing mm-hmm. defense. There's a play where Chambers pushes Olajuwon on the back and they don't call a foul. And it was just, yeah, it just seems like... Oh, that was, was a big play. Yeah. it was. I, there was no foul call, and then Olajuwon got the rebound and got an and one. And yeah. I was just like, wow. 
Yeah, yeah Chambers it, got pushed in the back. I want to say like out at the end of like it, it was on a big play. Like in the it ended up tying the game or giving up the lead, something like that. And Chambers just get. I'm like, what happened on the play? Like Olajuwon just got that board. And I'm like, no, Chambers got shoved in the back. They missed the call. Yeah. So it was. It was definitely. It was definitely different. Yeah, I mean, there were all sorts of other little remnants of basketball from days past, too. I mean, all of the jump balls we see, which doesn't happen before. And one of those was that near fight between Lister and Elijah. They just yeah. keep sort of pushing and bumping each other. And I just like, I watched Elijah do this a few times in the game. Apparently, position for a jump ball was just of quintessential oh, yeah. importance. And, I saw that too. <laughs> and they're just no, way apart. Even- not even when when he was like positioning to get the rebound, but when he was the one jumping, it was yeah. like both players got into this like sprinting stance about like a right. foot away from where the yeah. ball was actually going to be jumped. And I'm like, <laughs> is this actually efficient? Is this actually helping you? Yeah, yeah they were both trying to take a step and then jump. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So there, there's a lot of little um, just jostling and and that sort of stuff around all of that that was just sort of funny to see um did you also, guys know how the game was going to end i didn't i didn't know this one i, mean, I thought the rockets were going to win so i kept, so did I kept I. Thinking, <laughs> yeah so i kept thinking like oh man like how are they gonna you know like, oh so, like the the at the end um clemens can't hit that free throw to seal it i'm like oh man that kills him and then no then they end up winning uh yeah. But, you know, just man, with Elijah's numbers, you think he has right. to win, but then no, he didn't. Sorry, Lewis. And and the Sonics also they were a 39 win team that <laughs> yeah. goes to the Western Conference Final. That's insane. I'm like, yeah. I think now. Uh, so first, there's two things that make that possible. Number one, they only have to win three games in the first round. Right. So. If you look at if you look at the teams like first to win three games in um, in the first round, you will get more upsets. Yeah, you know, think well, of how I many games went seven. I didn't even consider this. They they weren't the first eight one seed to win because th- that happens in '94 with the the Nuggets. So there had to have been a regular season team worse than them who made the Western Conference playoffs. That's pretty crazy, yep. too. Right. It's, I think it's because of the way the divisions were set up. There were a lot fewer divisions. They were fourth in the Pacific Division. Interesting. Yeah. And they had played the Rockets yeah. five times. They played the Mavs five times in the regular season and lost all five. Lost, <laughs> lost the first game of the series so they had now lost six and Rex Chapman's like yeah we did not think we could win and then they went three straight and then win in six against the Rockets and then I guess they get trounced by the Lakers but yeah, they swept by the Lakers but uh can you imagine a 39-win team making the Western Conference Finals I'm like looking at the standings right now I'm like man I wonder you know could the John Morant Jaron Jackson Grizzlies <laughs> like the Western Conference Finals from the Clippers, that would be insane, right? That would or that be awesome. they somehow let's what if the Clippers lose to the Nuggets in the first round? I could see the uh, I could see, oh no, the Clippers would be playing, I guess, the Rockets, but yeah, I mean, 
I'm trying to think, like, uh, could a 39-win team make it that far? Well, yeah. the and, interesting thing is that uh, it's happened before. The 1980-81 Rockets actually made it to the NBA Finals with a losing record, and that was a Moses Malone team. Uh, I think the only time that's happened wow. in the 80-81 Rockets and the 54-55 Minneapolis Lakers. It's the only two wow. times it's ever happened. NBA Finals. And it could happen. Look, if they if they bring back the NBA with this uh, yeah. with this one game, you know, do or die tournament, a single elimination tournament, uh, amazing things could happen. Wait, is that something they're talking about? It's been I floated. I, I have no idea what they're talking about. Uh, <laughs> yeah, they're talking yeah. about bring back the NBA for 25 days or something like that, like a 25 day window. Like, what could you do in a 25-day window? Yeah. Interesting. Like, That's, four, four so games So they're going to basically, yeah, they're going to, like, give us the NCAA tournament that we missed, except for... Basically. Sport. It would probably have to be, like, yeah, it would have to probably be, like, eight games a day, uh, NCAA tournament style. But they don't even want, like, they, some of those 25 days have to be, like, a training camp like they can't just right. say all right it's mm. it's uh you know it's may 1st we're just doing the nba now they have to like give guys some runway right i don't th- i don't think i don't think it's coming back i i predicted on uh on quarantine cast by corbin smith i predicted <laughs> october mm-hmm. and then immediately after it ended i was like man that's way too soon but maybe it's too late. I mean, uh, who knows? So October and then next season, or, or the the twenty twenty one season would start late December, that sort of thing. Oh, I was just thinking that the just season this, would end. this okay. season's done. Yeah, gotcha. yeah, yeah. yeah. Which, Cop. which I mean, I given more thought, you know, that would basically be throwing a ton of money out. I right. think they're gonna be playing then you might as well have the games, like, matter more to just the average American. Like, if you bring back the NBA regular season in in October, like, no American would watch. But if you called it the NBA Finals, even if it's the exact same teams playing, you know, then everyone would be like, oh, this matters. This was was already weeks ago, but one of the things floated early on was, was a late, you know, a fall tournament to finish this season and then a late start to next season with a short schedule that would approximate the fewer games that have been floated, you know, before all of this happened. You know, a 62, 54 game schedule, whatever, you know, wherever they land with that number. Um, and that would start late December and then line up better against the other major sports. Seemed like a pretty reasonable thing and a nice way to test out that possible idea. But yeah, really hard to tell what's going to happen. Yeah, I think, um, well, like Trump was saying today that he was having some meeting with a bunch of uh, sports oh, right. leagues commissioners. You right. know, Mark Cuban was supposed to be involved and all these people about trying to bring sports back. Let him, you know, we have to say that that's probably like a terrible idea given the state of <laughs> our country and how little control we have over the virus. But that is what they're talking about. Um, and yeah, so, I mean, who knows, who knows, maybe somehow sports come back. I, I saw on Twitter, I think it was in Taiwan where they were playing baseball in an empty stadium. Um, so it seems like, I mean, sports are coming back somewhere, but I know, I think in the Chinese basketball association, they were planning on returning and then had to like 
pumped the brakes on that uh, because they hadn't like cleared everyone of the virus. Yeah, I think that's the key thing that they're waiting. I mean, the models right now, you know, if we stay on stay-at-home orders, have us being able to reduce down to controllable, you know, get back to life in June. You could even imagine that the NBA could potentially go back earlier, provided there were enough tests that they could, you know, keep tabs on their players. Um, I, I don't know. I'm not... I'm not ready to think yet that they're going to be giving up on this season, but maybe that's just hope and wishful thinking. Yeah. Um, and I don't Kyle, really want to back right now. I don't like. I don't like. I, I'm getting so much work done, you guys. <laughs> <laughs> I'm finally working on my novel. You know. <laughs> yeah, I've been mean. I've been meaning to get back to mine. It hasn't uh, hasn't happened yet uh, in my quarantine furlough but yeah um kyle I was, I was just gonna say the team that you're talking about who had a worse record than the sonics were the denver nuggets that year they were 37 and 45 in the midwest division uh they were the eighth seed in the western conference there you go yeah so, so uh, maybe, Lewis, I, maybe. I, I, I want, oh go ahead i was gonna say maybe this year i don't know what year bookends uh the western conference dominance that's lasted uh, 15 years but that finally seemed to begin to end maybe this year just record wise mm-hmm. you know the teams getting into the playoffs like you didn't have to win 45 games to make right. the western conference finals there was, was the first time but if that was the case this year it's not gonna be the case again next year because two of those under 500 teams are the Grizzlies and the Pelicans and both those teams, they're going to be pretty good for a long time. But, yeah. you know, I don't the know. Warriors when... might be okay next year, too. I wouldn't count on it. I'm just thinking might. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, pers- I personally date the Western Conference dominance to the Spurs winning in 99. I mean, basically, when the Bulls end, that's when Western Conference dominance begins. Because mm. the only the only champions you have are single-year champions. You have the Pistons in 2004. You've got the Celtics in 2007. You know, you got the Heat. You got the Heat. Yeah, but the Heat... The heat <laughs> couldn't even pull off three in a row, you know, like the, the three great three peats of the Western conference. I mean, I just think, you know, and everyone even said while LeBron was on the heat that, 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 you know, the Western conference was the dominant conference. Right. Yeah. That's because LeBron didn't want Wade to get the MVP in uh, 2010, 2011. Got to talk to you. Got to talk to your boy LeBron about messing up Wade's stats, Kyle. (laughs) I'll, yeah, I'll do it. <laughs> so, Lewis, I want to ask you one question while while we have you here on the pod. You write about joy. What would be uh, this game particularly? Was there a particularly joyous moment and or any particularly joyous moments in basketball in general for you personally or things you've witnessed? Just sort of curious. Okay. That's a tremendous question. From this game... It was the fans, just basketball in Seattle, um, was just, like, just from the tip, was just outstanding. The noise, um, it was a little bit 
jarring to just see that like there were only like bleach white people there. Like it was like, <laughs> only like they, yeah. they would pan to the crowd and it would just be like a blank white piece of paper <laughs> with like yep. different clothes. And people wearing suits. You know, I love I love seeing people wearing suits at the games, like a tie flopping around and they're jumping. <laughs> um, there was a shot, you know, a crowd shot later in the game where there's someone like holding on to another fan like really closely like terrified uh, <laughs> but just just overall just basketball in seattle was really nice uh and yeah unfortunately quaint to see um <laughs> right. and then basketball in general um okay I'll, I'll tell you this what i've really been loving uh and this is a, a plug sort of um, my friend and I created this bot, uh, a Twitter <laughs> robot that just tweets a random play from the 2018-19 NBA season every three hours. And it could be any play. It could be a foul, a three, a miss. Completely a, a, random. It could be end period. Yeah, it's completely random. And I have just, I watch every single one. They're, you know, they're all between <laughs> eight and 13 seconds so they're really easy to loop um and just i just find them mesmerizing like the sound of the game like there's certain things that you just hear and it's more when you just watch these mundane plays uh every, like over and over and over again you know fred van or like colin sexton like lining up a, a top of the key three-pointer and missing you know it's just like how, how many times would you want to see that in a row uh, if you weren't like if basketball were being played? Uh, probably not more than once. Sure. But uh, and it's like it's not film room. You know, it's not like one of these like serious breakdowns of what guys are doing. It just is. And it and I've it's been better than I imagined it would be. And last night, um, I don't know that we've ever had two plays in a row by the same player it's been biased on the nba finals which we figured out is because when it queries the when the robot like queries the nba like list of plays the first batch it goes through is like the month like the the, it sorts them first by month so it just pulls first out of like what you choose one out of the 10 months at random and june is one of those 10 months the only game being played in june is nba finals (laughs) so it so there's a 10 percent chance basically it'll be an nba finals game which is like not honestly what i want but i don't know how to code so gideon my friend kind of has the last (laughs) word uh but it's just been it's been oh so so we got three plays in a row uh last night that were Carl Anthony Towns' plays. It's like, wow, what an interesting coincidence. And of course, <laughs> his mother, his mother just passed away oh, from coronavirus. God, right? So, uh, it just, I don't know that. Uh, it's been. Uh, I highly recommend following it. So it's at NBA underscore random underscore play, and you know. <laughs> I watch them all. You don't have to watch them all. You know, you'll be on Twitter at two in the morning and they'll be the only other account that's up, you know, and I bet you'll see something or you'll hear something that 
you know, soothes you in this no NBA time. Nice. Yeah, we follow the Shot Tower Twitter account. We follow it. Beautiful. I didn't even need to tell you guys. <laughs> it's for the people. It's for the people. Uh, guys, that's all I have. Do you have? Uh, did any? Did anybody have any wonderful tidbits that we missed and you want to throw out there? Cornbread nope. Maxwell's nickname, which I just oh. worked in. Wow. Uh, uh, anything I at all? I did want to say. Did want to say Cedric Maxwell was a swaggy dude. Like, first of all, I don't know how everyone was playing in these super short shorts, but he looked like he was meant to play in super short shorts. The and shorts also, look terrible. They look terrible. <laughs> so, yeah, I don't, I don't know how they were playing, but he he looked good playing in them, and also he would look natural if he had just put on an all white outfit and gone to play at Wimbledon. He would have fit in perfectly with that uh that forearm uh, wristband. Uh, Real John McEnroe vibes. Black John so, McEnroe. One counterpoint, though. Molly was watching the game over my shoulder when, when I was watching it. And she said, oh, what what decade is this? The shorts are quite flattering. So, <laughs> so there you have it. That, yeah. I mean, speaking of the shorts, the guys are so much leaner. Uh, and by that, I mean skinnier uh, yeah. in this game than they are now. Like. When you hear the current NBA players like talking about how they like beat these young these old timers, like that's a like Fred VanVleet would just push these guys over. <laughs> right. He's yeah, so like Robert wrong. Reed would hold up, Hakeem would hold up, but not a lot of things. Xavier McDaniel would hold up, Nate McMillan would be fine, Dale Ellis would, but a lot of these guys would not be today. I mean, can you imagine Hakeem against Joel Embiid? Like, Embiid probably has, like, 30 pounds of muscle on that, dude. Yeah. yeah. Well, he played against Shaq, and I do remember that he played well against Shaq. So, I mean, okay. we, we've, I thought about this quite a bit, too, because I, it was really remarkable, you know, how, yeah, how lean they were. And I really wondered if, like, Shaquille O'Neal changed the game. Like if it wasn't just, you know, he was such a you know dominant player, but if in some ways just people thought very differently about how they had to play the game. Totally. Yeah. yeah. I had a, I didn't, it wasn't really connected to Shaq, but we watched, I think it was a 94 or 95 game where Shaq. 94, yeah. 94. And everyone in that game, I mean, they were in shape enough, but they didn't look nearly as lean and sinewy as these guys did. And I was just like, what is what was happening in this 94 season where these people just like not working out? Um, and I guess no, we can, they were that. running, they were running. That's why. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, they look, they look like they had more, I don't know. They probably all had like 10% body fat max, but you know, it's relative. Yeah. They look like they had more body fat in that game, at least than the yeah, players definitely. did in this game. Definitely. Um, and I think the last thing I want to say is if we're grading players on their chaotic energy, Xavier McDaniel is chaotic good. Tom Chambers, I'm going to say chaotic neutral. But if I watch a few more games, he might slide to uh, chaotic not evil, but something short of that. Um, and that's all I got. All right. Lewis, do you have a last word? It's been great being on, man. Thanks for having me. Uh, I hope we get to... To uh, you know, my next time out to Baltimore will hopefully be in the next twelve months. I have a friend who has a kid out there, and hopefully we'll get to have a beer and catch up when we're out there. Yeah, great. We get together and watch games. So um, yeah, we'd love we'd love to do that. Uh, hit us up when you're here. Um, 
All right, I think uh, that wraps up the latest Shot Tower pod. The Seattle Supersonics, a losing team, went on to win before going on to be crushed by the Lakers 4-0 in the Western Conference Finals, and then the Lakers went on to beat the Celtics 4-2 and uh, remove some of that Celtics hate and just dirtiness off of them. So um, that is the end of Shot Tower Pod. We are turning off the phantom power. Bring the NBA back to Seattle. Cheers.